0: You may be seated this morning. We're going to continue in our study in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 9 is where we're going to begin reading. Amen. You may be. Amen. You may be. The New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9. Middle schoolers are dismissed as they'll be heading up to the youth room to have their lesson. The rest of us, chapter 9, verse 11. We left off at verse 10 last time. So we'll continue and we'll finish the chapter this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Pastor Jim's got some Bibles in his hand. If you're towards the front, there's someone on the front platform. We want you to read God's Word with us. And uh, as we cover these verses, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, which is in verse 28. And as we recall, if you are with us in our previous study, in chapter 8, that uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who the human instrument is, and Bob, if you can turn the lights up a little bit, so I can see, yeah, now I can see all your faces, so, your smiling faces, sleepy faces, I don't know, so. But you recall that as we ended chapter eight last week, that the writer, whoever the writer is, we know that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit, and it's probably, most likely, Paul the Apostle, perhaps translated in Greek by Dr. Luke, but he would go back to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 31 that speaks of the time when the new covenant is going to come. And in that new covenant that was quoted in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 8, there three things that we were reminded that the Lord says in this new covenant, which now the, the Hebrew believers in the first century were now benefit of uh, the new covenant because of Jesus Christ. But the Lord says, I will put my laws in their mind and put them on their hearts in other words that it's not just God writing on the tablets of stone like he did The 10 commandments on mount sinai but it is now writing his laws and his will in his word on the tablets of our hearts and even as the writer of hebrews has already declared in chapter 4 that the word of god is alive is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword and we find that to be true don't we we read our bibles and those verses the promises his love that we see in god's word declared to us comes into our hearts and pierces our very hearts unlike any other book because it's alive it's the written word of God it's inspired by God second of all in this new covenant that we enjoy that they were being reminded that now you're a part of this new covenant that I will uh, be their God and and, uh, they shall be my people and We know that it is real, it is personal. Uh, There are many that see God as just some impersonal force up in heaven. Many of the Eastern religions believe in an impersonal God. But we know that God, that he is personal, he created us, he initiated uh, the work of salvation and sending his son to die for our sins. And he rose from the grave and we have that eternal redemption and uh, forgiveness of sin. But then thirdly, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and the lawless deeds I will remember no more. So the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient and complete in taking away our sins. And that's the point that the author of Hebrews is making here in this section as we finish chapter nine and move in to chapter ten as he will wrap up this whole discussion that started clear back in chapter 7 about jesus being our great high priest his priesthood is greater and that his sacrifice was greater than the animal sacrifices and now he is one that he ministers in a superior sanctuary not like the earthly tabernacle that was during the days of moses but he would present his blood there in the heavenly sanctuary. As We're going to see that that's going to be told to us in detail as we continue on. But our relationship with God that comes through our high priest Jesus, it is very personal, and it is real, and it is rich, and it's so much a part of our lives. It is our lives. Because as I have said before, that when we come to Jesus, Jesus isn't just added to your life. He is your life. He's our life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as he declared in that upper room. And he lives in our hearts, and his word is in our hearts. And we know that we belong to him as we have that spirit of adoption, as Paul would write to the Galatian believers and also in the book of Romans. God is no longer is removed and distant and abstract. And this new covenant is a covenant of grace based on believing and receiving our hope that is found in faith in Jesus Christ. And now we enter into this newness of life as Paul describes in Romans chapter 6. We identify with Christ. We live in this newness of life, this resurrected life as Christ lives in our hearts and we live for him and we walk with him. So chapter 8 ended with us being told that the old covenant has been made obsolete, uh, growing old, uh, ready to vanish away as we read. And as we moved into chapter 9 last time, the first five verses gave that quick description of the tabernacle that was out there in the wilderness. And then verses 6 through 10 told us of the limitations of the earthly tabernacle. And keep in mind that it was constructed... Moses was told to build that earthly tabernacle after the pattern of the heavenly tabernacle. And so those things were just a shadow of the reality. And that's what we're going to see that's going to be discussed as we continue on in this chapter. And there was limitations in that earthly tabernacle in that, that it, the animal sacrifices that were done did not bring, bring a complete taking away of sin. That's why the sacrifices were done over and over again day after day year after year when we're going to see that jesus sacrifice was superior because he did it once and for all and then also in that earthly tabernacle it did not bring the people into the presence of god only the high priest went behind that veil where the tangible presence of god was and he was the only one of the whole nation that was able to do that and only on the day of atonement for a short time so all these things keep in mind as we continue that's all part of the old covenant and then we read in verse 11 let's pick it up but christ comes as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation so jesus operates as a high priest in this new sanctuary that is a heavenly sanctuary not made by man let's continue in verse 12 of the chapter now with not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood verse 14 of christ who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god and for this reason verse 15 he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance so what is being told to us the writer of hebrews is declaring the superior sacrifice of the new covenant in the superior heavenly sanctuary jesus provided a sacrifice that did, that did not consist of the blood of goats or calves or sheeps and bulls that you read about in the old testament and in the book of leviticus and here in verse 13 we read that he speaks about the ashes of the heifer you can go to numbers chapter 19 and read about that how the the heifer was sacrificed and the ashes were mixed with the water for purification but all of the sacrifices as we have been discussing of the old testament that was all temporary right it was a covering of sin the hebrew word kofar for atonement until the perfect sacrifice in the perfect sanctuary was made by our high priest jesus it provided verse 12 eternal redemption now we understand that as we read that but there are those who think and though there are those who say, I bet every single one of us knows somebody of this mindset, that they say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I follow the teachings of Jesus. Uh, I believe in the Sermon on the Mount. Or I'm saved uh, 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 because I belong to a church. Or I was baptized in a church. Or I was confirmed in a church. I've given to the church. I'm a good person. There are those who think that, well, God will forgive me because uh, I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. I try hard. And, and they're mistaken. We know that forgiveness only comes by recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. As we plead the blood of Jesus Christ, as we look for him, he is our forgiveness and he is our salvation. And as we come and surrender our lives to him and he becomes our personal Lord and Savior, then we have forgiveness of sin. And we also have that eternal redemption that's being spoken of. It all comes through Jesus. And that's why the theme of the book of Hebrews is, always keep in mind is Jesus is better that Jesus work on the cross was complete and not only does Jesus in his perfect sacrifice provide true forgiveness of sin he entered the holy of holies in heaven and presented his own blood for our redemption but also he cleanses our conscience from dead works He cleanses us from the guilt and the shame of sin. And this is what sin does, that sin separates us from God. Sin brings despair. It brings defeat. It brings sadness. Sin holds us in bondage. And we know that as we have that that sentence of death that comes because the wages of sin is death, that we can now have forgiveness of sin. And Jesus frees us from all of that. He frees us from not only the penalty of sin as we are forgiven of sin, but as we live in that newness of life as we know that we belong to Him now, that we have a personal relationship with Him, then all the guilt and the shame and the bondage, and we know that we're forgiven the penalty of sin, and as we walk with Him, and as we know Him, and as we're growing, being conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, that He begins to free us from the power of sin in our lives. And it's a process, that sanctification. I understand that. And there are things that we can deal with the past. Even as Paul the Apostle, before he became a Christian, uh, there converted on the road to, to Damascus, that he killed Christians. He persecuted the Christians very heavily and it weighed on him. He writes about it in the epistles, how he was a violent man, an insolent man, that he was a waster of the church. But yet Paul says, putting those things behind, we can put those things under the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? For a lot of us, you know what the best thing about yesterday is? That it's over. And that we can put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can move forward, as he says, pressing on forward to the upward call, the high calling God in Christ Jesus. That we don't have to be paralyzed in life because of our past. We don't have to be under the weight of guilt and shame. And I know that when I came to Christ and I knew I was forgiven, it's like a weight was taken off of me and to be able to move forward as I worship Him and as I walk with Him, as I know Him and love Him, then that leads me to want to serve Him. You see, the old covenant sacrifices could not do that what we have completely. It only served as a picture of what Jesus would do and provide. And as most of us here understand that, I pray and hope that it becomes more real to us as we go through this epistle really understanding what Jesus, what he has done for us, who he is. And that picture of the heavenly tabernacle and what took place, the reality of the heavenly sanctuary and Jesus' sacrifice for redemption that we may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And as we look at that tabernacle described to us in verses 1 through 4 of, of the chapter as it speaks of uh, the outer court and there was the the altar of sacrifice out there and the laver where the priest would wash. And if you were of any of the 12 tribes of Israel, you can come and bring your sacrifice. Uh, and as you did, they would then sacrifice an animal as a kofar covering of sin and we read about the sin and trespass offerings of the old testament and the lord desires for you and i as it was a picture that we come into the outer courtyard to the place where that sacrifice took place and to understand that the perfect lamb of god was sacrificed died on calvary's cross for you and for me it's a picture of the cross and i am forgiven and then moving on to the labor that i am cleansed i am cleansed by the blood of jesus christ and now i can be watered with the the word even as paul speaks about being washed by the water of the word in ephesians 5 jesus said to his disciples you are clean by the words that i have given to you and i know that as i am forgiven that that lord what you have done for me and forgiven me and providing eternal redemption and salvation that you can't help but just say, Lord, I now want to, as I make it real and personal in my heart, that I want to be a living sacrifice for you and to give you a sacrifice of worship. It should cause us, as we understand this, what is being told to us and what has been provided for us, it should cause us to really have a heart of worship every single day because it is real, it is personal, and it is our hope. And it's not just abstract and mundane and distant like it was in the old covenant. The Lord Jesus is worthy of our worship, to worship here as we gather with God's people. To just have that heart of worship every single day because we are forgiven. We have the hope of heaven. Worshiping in our hearts as we have our devotions, and I pray that you do, that you read your Bibles every day. That as you read it and you see the promises, and again, his goodness and his love for us, that, oh, Lord, I, I just have that sacrifice, that worship, that thanksgiving, that rejoicing in my heart, that I belong to you. It's something that we carry in our hearts all throughout the day. And, and it's that song of praise that we have in our hearts. And Paul would write about that very thing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So worship is a sense of the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us, who he is, and it's real to us. And the reason I'm pressing this point about worship is this, that the Lord wants us then to move into the holy place, into the place where only the priests were allowed to go into to do their priestly service. And what I have found to be true in my own life is this, that when I worship, making a song in my heart for what Jesus has done for me and who he is and his love for me, then service will follow. Real worship oftentimes leads to real service. You remember when Satan came in the temptation of Jesus out there in the wilderness, that Jesus responded to Satan by saying, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve you shall worship and then you shall serve and i know that as long as i am worshiping him out of spirit of of and truth out of a love for him just amazed at his wonderful grace and forgiveness and provision then that will lead to me wanting to live for him and wanting to serve him in my life i'll tell you what doesn't work If I stand up here and I'm giving you the word of God, and as we're reading the word of God, his commandments, his precepts that are given to us, how it is that we can live a life pleasing to him. And if I'm up here just pounding the pulpit and and just being harsh and you need to do this and you need to do that, yeah, that's part of when the word comes forth. Or if I'm up here saying we have needs for you to serve and you need to start serving and I start to guilt you and I start to pressure you and manipulate you, I know it's not going to last very long. But here's something that I do want to do that as we go through the word of God, I want you to see Jesus clearly. And I want to remind you of him, his work and sacrifice that he did for you and for me. That causes you to have a love in your heart and an amazement of his incredible grace. And then it's not just duty, but Lord, it's devotion. It's not that I have to do these things, but I want to do them because of what you did for me and I love you lord because you first loved me and lord now I get to come and it just causes you to have that heart of worship and as you live for him and as you serve him you do it out of love even as Paul the apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he said it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us you will do more in love and in his grace than you will ever do And being manipulated or pressured or a sense of duty or putting yourself under rituals and regulations. It is, Lord, I get to live in that newness of life. And now I am free to live for you. And it leads us into the holy place, where on their left hand side was the seven branch menorah that was lit the showbread table, the altar of incense in front of them. Again, we can go into the tabernacle because 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that you and I as believers that we're a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 5 says that we've been redeemed by his blood, a kingdom of priests. So you and I are called priests, and as we go into the tabernacle itself, that we can be a light to others as I reflect the reality of Jesus Christ in my life. I can be a light for him in this dark world. Jesus said to you and to me that as believers, we're what? The light of the world. In a lampstand, you don't take and, and put it under a bed or under a table. You put it on the table. You put it on a nightstand so it can illuminate. And you and I in this world, when we leave this place, we get to be a light to others. And I pray that we are. It is a dark world out there, and it's getting darker all the time. And we get to be that light to others. And you may be the only godly light that people see illuminating from you. I can give people the bread of life. And I can give them the message that Jesus said that he's the bread of life that came from heaven. And whoever eats and drinks of him, he says that you shall never die, but you shall live. And we can give them the bread of the word whether it's to your kids, parents, grandparents, whether it's somebody you're speaking to at work or a family member or a friend, or maybe you're teaching in you know, a, a, a group, a small group, the children in the children's ministry, whoever it might be. And then I also, as I just continue in that heart of worship and just that awe of what the Lord has done for me, I find myself at the altar of incense that represented the prayers of the people. I'm praying for others. I'm praying for those who have need, to those who are not saved. Before I got saved, I really was indifferent to people. You know, I didn't really care a whole lot about people. I didn't think about them. It was kind of like, just don't get in my way and don't bug me don't bother me don't interfere with me and we'll get along just fine but as many of us perhaps were that way that as we come to christ that we do care about people and jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by what for your love for one another not because you're more popular you know you're got it together or good looking or whatever for your love for one another and in that love that you have for others because all of a sudden that you're seeing people the way that Jesus sees them you're going to be praying for them you're going to be ministering to them and being a light to them and you see it isn't like just going through the motions that the priest did in the old testament I never ever want to come here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and think well it's just another Sunday if I can just get through today and get on to other things I come with excitement even after 25 years of ministry. I love Sundays. I love coming here and saying, I wonder who's going to come. I wonder who's going to get saved. I wonder who it is new that I'm going to meet. I just love to come with the expectation that God is going to work. And on Wednesday nights, And what can happen to us that as we go through life and as we're walking with him and as we're serving him, that again, um, we end up over time, it ends up being routine and mundane. And what happens is we start to lose that heart of wanting to serve. You see, he writes verse 14, it's not dead works. And whatever it is that you're doing, and we can get discouraged, we can go through those times, But as Paul would say, as we discussed on Wednesday nights, that you be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. Mom and dad says you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord, and you're teaching them the word of God. That as you're ministering to others in whatever way and capacity and opportunities that you have, as you serve here, the Lord sees that, and he's pleased with that. And don't stop. And do it with a sense of joy and a worship in your heart for what the Lord has done. And to see it as a privilege that, Lord, I get to serve you, the true and the living God. But you see, it doesn't stop there. Then we enter behind the veil to a deeper and richer place. It's a place which is more important than service. Now, serving the Lord is important, but in the presence of the Lord and knowing him is more important. More important than that holy place in the tabernacle was the holy of holies behind the veil. Just as the high priest could only go in once a year for a short time, and more important than our service to him in the holy place is our being with him in his presence in the holy of holies which we can do any time. We're doing that right now. And we can do it on any day. And you can come and fellowship and talk with him and give your praises to him for as long as you want. And you see, the initial reader, those Hebrew Christians that were so tempted to go back to the sacrifices and to go back to the Old Covenant and go back to the temple worship This was something very special and very unique and very real and incredible. The new covenant based on our high priest Jesus and what he has provided for you to have the promise of the eternal inheritance and they would think this is incredible. This is wow. What Jesus has provided is better. So why would I want to go back to that which is not sufficient or complete or perfect? or bring you into the presence of God. Let's continue reading verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkle both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So a testament or a will only takes place when the person making the will, last will and testament, <laughs> ends up dying. Therefore, Jesus had to die for the testament, the covenant, to take effect. And even the old covenant had the shedding of blood by the animal sacrifices. It was necessary that the perfect Lamb of God shed his blood for the remission of sin, verse 22, quoting from Leviticus, actually. And some people think, again, as I've already mentioned, that I'm forgiven because I'm a good guy. Or I help others, and God, he, he's forgiven me. And you can talk to them. Why do you believe God has forgiven you? And to see if they clearly understand the gospel. It comes by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then as we finish the chapter here this morning in verse 23, therefore it was necessary that copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages... He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In verse 27, as is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bearing the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So as we read the Old Testament, it was the purifying of the earthly tabernacle with those imperfect sacrifices, But the heavenly sanctuary needed a perfect sacrifice. So to do away with sin, verse 26. So the death of Jesus, of course, on Calvary's cross meets that requirement. It is a sacrifice that is complete, offered once to bear the sins of many because it is appointed for men to die once, but after that the judgment. Sin has separated us from God. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, When Adam sinned, then sin and death came into the world. And it's appointed for every single one of us that we're going to die. You know, the statistics on death are pretty impressive. Ten out of ten people die. And unless we are raptured, which I pray that we are, we're all going to come to the end of our lives and we're going to die. And then something very important for us to understand, then comes the judgment. You see, there's a lot of people that think, well, don't I get a second chance when, you know, I die? and there is no second chance the bible here makes it very clear that it's a point of once to die than the judgment there are those who believe well isn't there a purgatory and i grew up in the catholic church hearing about purgatory and i remember even thinking oh lord i don't want to go to purgatory i want to be good enough to where i go to heaven but there was all kinds of different thoughts on it. And, you know, I, I wonder, what was the burning of candles about when you first went in the church? Oh, there's purgatory and praying for your dead relatives and they'll get out of purgatory. It's made up. There's no purgatory in the scripture. And it really is, you know, interesting how many calls I get on the radio that they'll ask me about Purgatory or isn't there a second chance hoping that there's a second chance that after we die listen there's no second chance and I really feel for those who don't believe in Jesus who don't believe in a God and I know some who don't that they believe that after we die we're just ceased to exist annihilation that there's no hope whatsoever I feel bad for those who believe in reincarnation I mean, I can't think of a more depressing thought than reincarnation. Would you want to come back here? I don't want to come back here. I mean, do you want to go through junior high again? I don't want to go through junior high again. It's a terrible thought. We have the hope of eternity that is told to us in this book. That has been provided for us. And the Bible is very clear that it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. And Jesus took the judgment for you and for me on that cross, and that's why he came to this world to die for our sins because the great need for any man or any woman, the greatest need is to be forgiven and to recognize that's why Jesus came. You see, if the Old Testament sacrifices could provide complete forgiveness of sin, Jesus didn't have to come. There wouldn't be a need for, to abolish the old covenant. Jesus prayed in the garden, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, Father, but nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. If there's any way for any man or any woman to be forgiven and have eternal life, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. But he went to the cross because he knew that's the only hope for you and for me. To take care of the sin problem. And the Bible is very clear that there is a heaven and there is a hell. We don't like to talk about hell, it's not my favorite subject. But to understand that it is real. And there are some circles of Christianity, there are some circles that like to think, well, nobody's going to go to hell. God's a loving God. He is a loving God. But we know it's very real. Go ahead and read Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, that the unrighteous dead, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, are resurrected, that is yet still future, and they're going to stand before the great white throne judgment, and they're going to be judged for their works. You do not want to be judged according to your works. We all need the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ who took the judgment upon himself and died for you. And that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And the reason I'm kind of pressing this is because there's more pastors behind the pulpit that are saying, we're not going to mention sin. We don't want to be a bummer. We're not going to address sin. Listen, you cannot give the gospel clearly without bringing up sin. I like what Greg Laurie says, that many of you listen to him, the the, a great evangelist, he says, we got to first understand the bad news before we receive the good news. And the bad news is all of us have been affected by sin. I think that there isn't a person that I've met that would say, I've never sinned, I've never made a mistake, I've never transgressed. We all know that we've sinned. Well, there's one, one kid. When, when our kids were smaller, we used to do these neighborhood Um, clubs that were evangelistic clubs and teenagers would come over and what you did was um, you gathered all the neighborhood kids and they would tell Bible stories and read from the Bible and then they would give the gospel and it was really neat ministry and so we did that when the kids were small and there's a couple kids that came from down the street, a brother and a sister and the brother, he was really ornery and one of the teenagers was saying, do you know that you're a sinner? He said, nope, I'm not a sinner. You never done anything wrong? Nope, never done anything wrong. Ever hit your sister? Nope, but she's hit me. So he, he, was, be- he was being persistent. He was being ornery. But really, I don't, never met a person that said, I've never sinned. If there is, they are greatly mistaken we've all sinned and the Bible is very clear that that sin has separated us from God and that's why Jesus came he didn't come for a good cause he didn't come to be a great humanitarian he didn't come to be a wonderful philosopher he is the truth he is God incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ that came and provided himself as a sacrifice for you and for me to take care of the sin problem, and he cried out, it is finished. And he is our great high priest, and then he was put into a tomb. No one else died for you. Every other religious leader is in the tomb. Only Jesus conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And that's what you and I embrace, and that's what we get to tell others. because there's a point at once for man to die and then the judgment, and it's real. And we love you enough here at Calvary Chapel to give you the truth of the gospel, that hell is real, but heaven is real too. And don't play games with your salvation. It is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It is more important than what you're going to do in life and who you're going to marry and what house you're going to buy. I'm not saying those aren't important decisions. But even Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? And the writer of Hebrews says, so we eagerly wait for him. He's going to come back, not for sin but for salvation. And we know that Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And that's the message that we get to give to others. And let's give that message. Let's be honest with people. And let's say that Jesus loved you so much that he came and died for you. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He loves you. And today is the day of salvation. He's provided that. It's the most wonderful news that we could ever give to anyone. Be that light Be that truth and point people to Jesus because he is the way. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for these things that we know, but I pray that it would impact us, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be that light and that vessel of truth to others. And Lord, we can get so weighed down with the cares of life. There are things that we have to do in life, raising kids and working and dealing with our health and problems and everything else, but Lord, may we never lose that worship in our hearts for the incredible grace and love and hope that we receive from you through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us to be a light to others, to be a witness to others. And Lord, I pray that we would understand truly that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. We weren't deserving of it. We're not worthy of it. But because of your incredible grace and mercy, Jesus freely went to that cross to provide forgiveness and eternal salvation. And that for us to come and and to have a relationship with you that only comes through our great high priest, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for you if you've never made that decision. That this is truth given to you. That as you recognize that you need to be forgiven, that you in your heart would pray this, that Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again and that you're alive speaking to my heart and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as my personal Lord and Savior because I want to know you walk with you and I thank you that I can live in this newness of life and I thank you for this new beginning Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, will you put your hand up and put it back down so I can pray for you? Anybody at all? God bless you. Maybe, Lord, there are others that I don't see that raising their hands doesn't save us. It's just you've made a commitment to Christ. Anybody else at all? Maybe I don't see you. You're out in a coffee shop. Maybe you're listening on live stream or later on the radio. Father, I thank you for decisions that were made for you this morning. Say yes to Jesus. And I pray for everyone who made that decision that you would fill them with your love enjoy your Holy Spirit that they would grow in that love and in your word for all of us Lord that we would leave this place being a light to others just marveling at your incredible love and grace for us that we wouldn't lose that the Lord grow in that thank you for bringing us here today and thank you for these truths that were spoken to us through your word and it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Pastor Jim's up front. Joan's up front here to pray with anybody that needs prayer. If you made a decision for the Lord, we'd love to minister to you in that way. The Lord is so good, isn't he? Never lose that. The goodness of our Lord in your heart. Wednesday night, love to see you come out and join us as we're going through Isaiah, absolutely incredible book. Guys, don't forget, May the 12th, sign up. Love to see you at breakfast there. And Travis is going to close this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of In the blood of Jesus I will boast in Christ alone His righteousness And not my own I will cling to Christ My home His mercy Now and forever. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone. We'll see you soon.